It's Monday, and the Blue Bloods are here with another loaded episode full of college football content for all you listeners out there. We did want to say we're recording this on Sunday, which is Mother's Day, so we wanted to give a quick shout-out to all the moms out there. Especially want to shout-out my mom and Brandon's mom for all you do for Brandon and I. So shout-out to you guys. You You guys are the best. We love you. Uh, But we start the episode off by talking about the fallout of Tolua Tagovailoa's transfer from Alabama. We then debate whether the NCAA should limit or at least manage recruiting spending across the country. We then begin a new segment called Hot Seat Watch, where we analyze which college football coaches in each conference are on the hot seat. Today, we have the ACC. And we wrap up the show with another recruiting update, which focuses on Clemson and their stacked, loaded, whatever you want to call it, 2021 recruiting class. It's about that time, so let's kick it off. So last week, man, a shocking development out of Tuscaloosa had the college football world buzzing as as Alabama Crimson Tide quarterback Talua Tagovailoa announced his intentions to transfer from Alabama. Tagovailoa appeared in five games last year as a true freshman, but Alabama has one of the deepest quarterback rooms in the country after the addition of five-star Bryce Young this past recruiting cycle. Many experts have been speculating on what this means for Alabama and where Tagovailoa could possibly end up. So, Brandon, what were your first impressions when you heard the news that Tagovailoa was taking his talents elsewhere? And if you had to make an early prediction on where you see Tagovailoa ending up, where would that be? Oh, man, that's so tough. So so my first reaction when I first heard about this, uh, obviously I was shocked. Uh, you know, you kind of think you know, two is gone. And no one, I don't really know anyone that thought that Talia was going to take over like immediately, right? I mean, they thought maybe in a year or so. And then once Bryce Young signed, um, you kind of had to figure Talia didn't have like a great chance of starting at all during his uh, tenure in Alabama. So, I mean, it makes sense, uh, but, I, you know, it still shocked everybody. Anyway, um, yeah, you know, you, we see the news pieces all over the place about, about Talia wanting to move closer to – Miami, basically, you know, to get closer to Tua. And I just, I don't know how much weight that carries. I mean, you know, I understand that his entire family, once Tua went to Alabama, moved to Tuscaloosa or moved to Birmingham, right? They moved right outside of Birmingham. Yeah. Um, Yeah, they did. They still live there currently, too. Right. And so, like, I understand that, you know, it's, it's, you're moving from Hawaii to Alabama for college. I mean, it, you know, it's kind of weird. You know, I, I don't know how many, uh, I don't want to say weird, but it, it's definitely different. I mean, Zach, when you moved to Auburn, did your parents move to Auburn with you? No, I don't. I don't no, think definitely so. not. Right, and, and and I don't know. To me, it's a little strange, but I don't see Natalia and his family moving to Miami to follow Tua. I just I don't see that as like a feasible option, you know. And so I'm going to kind of discredit the the Miami talks. I don't know that he goes to Miami. I don't think he goes to FIU. Uh, you know, maybe he does go somewhere in Florida, uh, but who knows? Um, so there are a couple good fits, but 
honestly, one one scenario that I could see playing out, I know that he entered the transfer portal, but couldn't you just see Talia staying in Tuscaloosa? I mean, I, going into the transfer portal doesn't mean that you're transferring for sure. It means that you are going to test the market. You're going to see, you're going to feel it out. You're going to see what teams really want you. But in the end, I could honestly see Talia just staying put, staying where he's at, playing under uh, Nick Saban, playing in a quarterback room with Mac Jones, with Bryce Young, and, and potentially having the chance to beat these players out. You know, I don't, I don't think that's the worst option in the world for Talia at this point. I, I don't mind that take. I do think there's more weight in the Miami rumors than like you might be giving credit for. I don't see him staying, though. I think he's gone. I, so I, I think part of that is the culture that he comes from. And I think they have a lot of pride. And so, like, once that decision was made, once that foot was out the door, I don't think – I think there might be a disconnect there with him coming back and looking his teammates in the eye and saying, like, hey, I was thinking about giving up on you guys. I, we Most of the time, Alabama transfers tend to go. I think there was one um, recently, right, Scooby Carter decided, changed his mind like three or four times, so defensive back – but most of the time, Saban is if it's out, it's out. And there has been rumors that Paul Bear Bryant's um, was a great grandson um, is also right. there. And I heard he is showing out in indoor practices. I think uh, there's a lot of people who think he can compete with Mac Jones for the starting job. And he's already been in, in the system. And I, I think that adds even another depth. Of, I mean, just and I think the biggest thing of the transfer is do you think he wants to live in his brother's shadow? No, I, I mean, who would? Yeah, I mean, because if you look at it, I'm not surprised, as you said you weren't either. I mean, Bryce Young, for me, is the future of Alabama football. Uh, I, the kid is probably the most elite recruit that they've ever gotten at that quarterback position. And also, Mac Jones has put his time in. I think Saban wants to give Mac Jones at least a year. I look at him someone like A.J. McKay and Greg McElroy, that that's the prototypical Alabama quarterback that he's had in his tenure. And that just leaves Tagovailoa without a true spot in this quarterback room. But, yeah. I mean, Brent, I don't know about you. I mean, we both are from Alabama. We have a lot of friends who are Alabama fans. We have, we have our finger pretty much on the pulse of Alabama football. Uh, how shocked are you? Because uh, I'm pretty shocked at how fast Alabama fans turned on Tagovailoa, though. I mean yeah. – Coming how, well, how, how, how shocked are you really? Because, I mean, we see Alabama fans turning on, and this isn't yeah, – okay, yeah, this is for sure just me bashing Alabama fans right now. So strap in if you're an Alabama fan. I don't apologize. How quickly do they turn on on, on Jalen Hurts, right? I mean, they turn uh, on Pretty him fast, quick, pretty fast. Right? So I'm not shocked at all that they turn on uh, on Tagovailoa. I think that it's – I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it's par for the course for, for these fans. Yeah, I mean, like, how many uh, how many times did you hear fans telling you? I know I was told by a lot of Alabama fans that Tulua was so much better than Tua, and whatever Tua did, you know, th- this kid could do so much better. I mean, it, it just Tua was the best Alabama quarterback of all time, and I don't know if you can really debate that based on stats. Yes, he didn't, you know win that sole national title. Jalen Hurts carried the team. He came in the second half. Debate that what you will, but he didn't leave the team to a national championship after that. But based on stats and his popularity, I would say Tua has the argument to be the best Alabama quarterback of all time. But Brandon, I don't know if you watched the five games that Tulua played in, but 
for me, watching his film, watching how he carries himself, I don't think he carries that same confidence or swagger that Tua did. And yes, no. I like I don't want to bash anybody on the podcast, especially a college, you know, student or college athlete, but you just gotta call it how you see it. I mean, he seems to be real in a shell. He seems to be kind of tiptoeing around while Tua, when he walked into a room, he commanded presence. He was that true leader. He had that confidence that he can make any throw on the field. And I just don't see that. And I so I think the ceiling here is much lower, which is why I think he's really out of the door, because I don't see him competing with Bryce Young or Mac Jones. No, and, and I, I mean, obviously, I, I've held true to this since the very beginning. I mean, since Tua uh, suffered his injury earlier this season or this past season, uh, when Mac Jones came in, I mean, I've held true to, hey, Mac Jones is the better quarterback out of him and, and Talia. Uh, I've said that, I mean, run the tapes back. Uh, Alabama fans did want Talia to get on the field for whatever reason. I uh, couldn't tell you why. He's not nearly as good, Zach. And I, I understand why you're kind of hesitant uh, on my take of him staying in Alabama. And I do have another choice, uh, but I'll let you make your, I'll let you make your um, take before I uh, pull another one out. Yeah, I have two. I think the obvious choice has to be Miami. I mean, if the family already followed Tua all the way to Alabama, I could see it happening again to Florida, especially if Talia goes to Florida. So both my schools are in the state of Florida. And that's not only because of Tua going to Florida. Tulua, if you look at his college choices, there were a lot of Southern teams on that list. I think they wanted to play in the South. The competition, the notoriety, the TV deal, all that stuff plays a part here. So my number one choice is Miami right now. I mean, one, you have Tua playing for the Dolphins. Two, you have a need at quarterback because Miami only has a one-year rental in De'Aaron King. And Jared Williams has already hinted at transferring, and I don't think you're going to give that job to Tate Martell. At least I hope you wouldn't. So Tolua can come in, and he pretty much can be handed the starting job after sitting out his year. And he he wasn't redshirted. He played in five games. So he could take that redshirt year as his sit-out year and keep his eligibility. And Miami... Say what you will, they have talent in other positions. It seems to be that quarterback position that's giving them problems. I mean, Brandon, if you if you give them a decent quarterback against Florida to open up the season last year, they most likely beat Florida, who was a top ten team last year, who yeah, won a New Year's six game. I don't want to talk about that game. Yeah, I mean, it was uh it was one game. Brandon's upset, of course, <laughs> but I mean, I think another interesting option, really and truly, Brandon, could be Florida or Florida State. I think both are in the state of Florida closer to Tua and both fit a quarterback like Tulua, what he needs. I mean, Florida quarterback guru, head coach, and Dan Mullen. I mean, can you not see taking, you know, Talia and doing something similar to what Dan Mullen did with Dak Prescott? Uh, Look, I I mean, I think it's possible. I, I think that it's way more likely that he ends up at Florida State than Florida, though. Oh, I, I do, too. I'm just trying to give, like, I think Florida State really and truly would be, if I had to put money on it, I would say that. But you can't, you know, knock out Florida. I mean, Emory Jones does have a potential after Kyle Trask leaves this year, but he just seems to be more of a wildcat quarterback to me. I'm, I'm kind of questioning his arm strength. I know some of our Florida listeners might disagree. I haven't seen starting quarterback potential a lot from Emory Jones. So I think there's a could be a need here. And I think Tolua, like I think he could want to make a mark in the SEC without being directly in his brother's shadow in Tuscaloosa. And this would 
put him in a different division. It would put him in a school that has historically good quarterbacks and that he could make his mark. And I think the fans would take it. But a way more, I guess, logical option would be Florida State. Another offensive quarterback savant in Mike Norval finds himself in his first year in Tallahassee. And this is this is an interesting fit to me because, Brandon, I mean, since Jameis Winston, how bad has quarterback play been in Tallahassee? Pretty bad. Not I mean, great. James Blackman was god-awful. I mean, he threw, what, five interceptions in the um, Sun Bowl this year? Right. And they lost to Arizona State. It was terrible. And they have t- talent. I mean, Marvin Wilson at defensive tackle will most likely be a top 10 pick this year in the draft. And they have what they have. They had Cam Akers at running back. They have wide receivers. They have secondary players. I mean, this team is built to compete for national titles, ACC titles, and they can't do it because they don't have a quarterback. And Norval is going to have to find his quarterback of the future. And, you know, with Tolua leaning toward the state of Florida and his recruitment and his brother's there, his family could possibly be there. I just think that would be the most logical spot. It wouldn't put him in Miami with Tua, but it would allow his family to go to both games. And I mean, even if the family decided to stay in Birmingham, it's not a, it's not a hard trip to go to Florida state to see your kid play. Right. Right. I I mean, it's (laughs) honestly, I think that Birmingham's closer to Tallahassee than Miami is. But that's yeah. yeah so exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. I mean, I think I think Florida State's a great choice. That was that was one of them. Uh, that was one of the schools I was playing around with. Uh, but like I said, I, I'm going to stay out of the state of Florida for my next pick. Um, just because I mean that take's been made. You know, people all over the place think he's going to Florida. So why not give you guys a different perspective? Um, I could see Tua, like you said, uh, with Florida uh, going staying in the SEC but switching conferences. And I think there's a team in the SEC East that they've I, – I don't want to say they've had troubles at quarterback, but they definitely haven't had the best look at quarterback in the recent in recent history. Um, and that's that's a team uh, in, in the Tennessee Volunteers. Um, I think that Jeremy Pruitt is building a team up there uh, with a great culture. And I think that's finally starting to come out, and I think people are finally starting to, uh, uh, to recognize that. Tennessee was a team that was up there for, for Talia when he was uh, choosing colleges. Um, he's developed that relationship with Jeremy Pruitt, and I, I can't remember for sure, but I think that Tennessee was like a close second to Alabama when he, when he was choosing colleges. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Tennessee, obviously, Jarek uh, Garantano is coming back for his uh, redshirt senior season this year. Um, and they do have uh, another quarterback who's in the same class as Talia and Brian Maurer. Um, but – would you classify these quarterbacks as like great quarterbacks, Zach? No, I think both of them have a similar ceiling. I would say though, I mean, Brian Moore, like he played really well down the stretch for Tennessee, but I think they're, they have, they bring pretty similar skill sets, I would say. So uh, I think that'd be an interesting competition to say the least. I think it would definitely be interesting just because, I mean, what happened last year? You know, we saw Jarrett Garantano start the season last year, right? And then guess yeah, what? He, did. He, got, he got benched for Brian Maurer. Brian Maurer gets hurt. He plays three games. He he goes two and two at, at when he played. Um, he he gets hurt. Jared Garantano's back. I'm sorry. JT Shrout was back after that. And then Jared Garantano after JT Shrout got benched, right? I mean, and the best record out of any of these quarterbacks is Brian Moore, who went two and two last season. And he played I mean, Georgia one of the games. Let's Let's also throw that in there. Okay, I guess we can throw that in there. But, but I mean, 
I think that it would be a great competition there in Tennessee. And I think this is a team that, like I said, Talia has been leaning towards since the beginning of his uh, recruiting cycle. And I definitely wouldn't want to count this team out for uh, Talia next year. No, I, I don't blame you at all. And I mean, to be fair, Brian Moore had Tennessee beating Florida early in that game too. So let's not forget that. I, I like the pick of Tennessee. I think t- Tennessee was his number two school, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right. Behind right. Alabama. And he knows Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, Jeremy Pruitt was at Alabama for a while. I mean, they recruit these kids so young. Jeremy Pruitt probably already knew who this kid, you know, who Tulia was. They have, an, they have a relationship, but – for right now, we're going to move on to another topic, guys. Another one on recruiting. Uh, and, you know, we're going to go to Clemson, uh, you know, for the first time this episode. We'll, we'll be back later. But a recent development came out of Clemson, and it involved the almost $100,000 spent by Clemson Athletics in one weekend on recruiting. And during the 2019 season, Clemson hosted 11 different official visits for recruits and spent upwards of $85,000 to kind of wine and dine these players. And that weekend, Brandon, to show how this worked, 10 of the 11 official visitors ended up signing with Clemson. And one of their unofficial visitors, Will Shipley, five-star running back this year, just recently committed last week. And I just want to highlight some of the stuff for you guys. Um, Clemson paid almost $9,000 solely on flights to Clemson, almost $2,000 on black car services to and from the airport, and over $30,000 on just hotel rooms alone. So, and the spending list goes on and on. They spent almost $20,000 on a steakhouse dinner the first night. And, you know, it brings up an interesting question. I mean, Brandon, so should the NCAA limit, manage, kind of control the what teams can spend on recruiting each year. So let me say this before I get started. I mean, I don't really understand how you can't buy a meal for for a player once they sign with the team in the NCAA, but you can spend upwards of $85,000 on one weekend for recruits. How does that make sense? It doesn't. Um, you know, what I'm trying to get across right now is is and I want to make this abundantly clear before I get into my rant is that right now, while there's not a rule, I don't see a reason why if you have it, you shouldn't spend it. You know, you can't pay these recruits, right? You can't, you can't be like, Hey, here's, you know, here's your cut of the 85 grand that we spent on this weekend's uh, uh, recruiting trip, but you can spend it on certain things and indulge them while they're there. Right. It, It, I don't see a reason why you shouldn't be able to do that while there's not a rule. I just don't understand how this isn't against the rules right now. Like I said, you can't – I mean, you you literally cannot go out to lunch with a player and pay for his meal. But you can do this for recruits. Well, yeah, I must say because um, I think this a rule is you can pay for all this kind of stuff for a recruit and two family members, if I'm not mistaken. Right, but I don't really understand why that's the rule. So, obviously, I, I don't really agree with it. I don't see a reason why – I think this, this calls – I think this makes for an unfair um, advantage for teams that – you know, they do have it. You know, these bigger programs, these schools that aren't struggling financially, uh, I think it makes for less competition. And that's really why I'm against it. I think that it limits the competition that's allowed in the NCAA because, you know, just in the ACC alone, who do you think has more money, Zach? I mean, does Clemson have more money or do you think that Boston College has more money? I mean, Clemson obviously has a lot yeah, more Clemson, money to spend, definitely. To spend, on, spend on the football recruiting. 
So you you give Clemson an unfair advantage by allowing them to to spend almost a hundred thousand dollars housing recruits for one weekend. Uh, to me, I I don't know. I, I just I can't see a reason why this should be allowed. Yeah, I mean, just to put it in perspective for you, Brandon, the only other ACC school that spent over a million dollars in one fiscal year in recruiting was Florida State. Right, and they have it. They might have more money than Clemson does. Yeah, most likely. I mean, just to kind of frame this issue, guys, um, uh, you know, almost $100,000 was spent by Clemson in one recruiting weekend. Wisconsin in the 2018 year only spent three hundred around three hundred and fifty thousand for the entire year on recruiting, right? I mean, and to, and the only teams in the in the two thousand eighteen year, which are the numbers that are available now, I couldn't find the two thousand nineteen numbers. I don't think they're out yet. But Bama, Tennessee, and Georgia were the only teams to spend over two million dollars in recruiting. Jeez, dude, and and, and you know the. I, th- I believe it was every single SEC school, Texas, Oklahoma, Clemson, Florida State, Penn State, and a handful of others that spent over that spent over a million dollars on recruiting. I mean, if you look at the top 20 in recruiting, all those teams are in there. And so, you know, it, it kind of brings a question to like, yeah, schools have different budgets based on success, but should we have – so, Brandon, my proposal is sh- – for you is should we have something like a salary cap that we see in professional sports where yes, if you have the money, you can spend it. But at the same time, we aren't allowing a team like, let's say the early 2000 Yankees just to buy all the talent. Right. And that's yes, absolutely. Zach, that's look, you, you made my point for me already. Salary cap is, or not salary cap, but a recruiting cap is what we need. Right. I mean, there's the, I mean, there's the scholarship cap that teams have. So, in which I guess kind of makes my argument a little bit weaker because you can only offer this many players a scholarship. So it kind of defeats the purpose of spending $2 million on recruiting in a year. But I mean, I, I don't see a reason why the, uh, why, why something like a recruiting cap would be a bad idea. I think that would make things not only more fair than college football, but I think it would create far more competition. I, I think that we wouldn't be sitting here watching a team like Clemson just blow uh, Duke out of the water in the eight in, you know, it, I, I don't think that we'd see that as often if, if this recruiting cap was uh, set. Well, I mean, I guess you also would run into the problem of, I mean, where would you set that budget? Would you take into account group of five schools or would you just make it a power five thing? I think, I mean, well, I mean, why not take group of five into, into well, cause, account? Because, I mean, you, you have like a group of five school like Appalachian State or FIU or someone like that who may just – who may be the outlier of not having a lot of money and just drag that average down. No, 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 no. No, I'm not saying, hey, let's set this budget at $50,000. I'm saying put it to something reasonable. I mean, a $500,000 budget for the year on recruiting – would work just fine. And like you said earlier, if you have it, spend it, that's fine. But if you don't, then you don't go over that. You don't have to worry about that, but you don't have a team like, like what'd you say? Alabama spent $2 million on recruiting. Yeah, a- Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee all spent over $2 million. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't think that we should put uh, this number like criminally low, 
I mean, even even seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, even I mean, maybe a million. I understand a lot of teams can't do that, but you um you don't have these outliers that that are just which I look. My argument is probably just falling to shambles because Tennessee spent two million dollars on recruiting. <laughs> hey, Tennessee's but, the number two class in the country right now. Yeah, they're doing pretty well right now, but in the past, man. But um, yeah, yeah. I, do you see what I'm saying? I don't yeah, think that I, we I, should be setting this this cap at like a hundred thousand dollars. I think it should be higher than that. And if you haven't right. spent it, you know, I don't. I, there's no reason why you should punish a team for spending what they have. I just think that it makes for better competition if 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 teams have a limit as to how much they can spend on housing recruits, especially when you can't pay these players after they sign, right? Right. I mean, I think the – so I don't have a problem with not capping recruiting, to be honest with you. I think there's one variable in terms of this that should be capped or at least monitored more closely. So hear me out here. I feel like access is a huge problem when it comes to this, Brandon. I mean, when you look at how much they spent on flights, I mean, does having this large budget allow teams to get visits from players that other teams in their conference may not? I mean – so let's just take Virginia. I mean, Virginia probably has more than like the, the lowest, but like Syracuse. Can Syracuse get kids from California to visit in bulk like this? No, no. And they still have money for kids from Florida, kids from any of these top. I mean, they're getting kids from the Northeast mainly because they can't afford to fly kids out from, from the corners of the country that they're not in. That's usually where the talent's at, right? I mean, we look at the states that have the most uh, talent when it comes to recruiting. Looking at California, Texas, Florida, Georgia, do you really think they can fly those those kids in? No, de- definitely not. I mean, and you you look at the type of recruits that are coming too. I mean, they they're dropping so much money. I mean, it was a forty eight hour you know visit, and I, I believe if you look at the list of visitors that we get, official visitors. 11 of the 12 were top 250 players. Right, in- right. Including three top 10 players, which they all ended up signing, including the number one player in the country, Brian Barisi, was there. And, you know, they spent all this money on travel. They spent all this money on steakhouse dinners. They spent all this that they gave. They So I, I know this will probably make you mad, right now. I mean, did you know that the student athletes that house these players – um, get $75 a day to entertain the prospects on official visits. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they they pay all that. They Every single night, I believe, they spent over $1,000 on dinner. And it's just, to me, I feel like it just provides access. I mean, if you tell a kid, hey, you can go visit Boston College and they can't pay for your travel, they will house you, but... They also am not going to give you a $4,000 steak dinner. I mean, you're going to take the visit where you get more stuff, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I feel like it gives unfair access to teams. And I think that should be monitored. I mean, do I think that some of these families can afford to travel across the country? No, I don't. And I think it should be covered, but I think there should be some type of limit of like, or help to some of these smaller programs. I mean, think about uh, for me, I'm all I'm all about increasing like parity in college football. I mean, I want to see different teams win the national championship, but regardless if it's my team or not. I mean, how fun was this college football season when LSU came out of nowhere and won the national championship? How refreshing was it not to see a Clemson or Alabama national championship? 
Yeah, it was. It, I mean, it was great because that's all we've gotten for the past five years. It, exactly, and when Ohio State came out of nowhere and won the national championship with the third string starting quarterback, or when Auburn came out of nowhere and won with Cam Newton, or Florida State came out of nowhere with Jameis Winston. I mean, things like that are what make college football so great. And you know, yes. So the outlier that tears down the argument is like Wentz Cotson, who spends three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, but still gets to the Rose Bowl. Right. But also, you're Wentz Cotson, and I, I feel like you still can compete with whatever. I mean, you're. Uh, I feel like that's such an outlier because I think the culture of Wisconsin is different. I mean, they're not flashy. And so if they were paying an outrageous amount, it would be so much different. But I, I agree with you. I think it does give an unfair advantage to school. But I understand the people who don't want the NCAA to get involved because every time the NCAA gets involved, something goes wrong. Brandon, I mean, how many times have we seen the story where the NCAA thinks they're doing something good and totally, totally botches the job? Uh, almost all the time. Yeah, I mean, literally every single time. So I think this is going to become an ongoing debate. I mean, this we're covering this on our show. I mean, Brandon, I don't think we've seen any real talk about changing the way this works. I mean, this Clemson report is one of the first that's come out and gained national attention. So I think we're like on the forefront of this. And I think this is going to become a real problem moving forward, especially if we keep seeing, you know, I just said every single SEC school that I can find outside of Kentucky and Vandy, I believe, spent over a million dollars on recruiting. That includes Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, every single school. And you're telling me that teams are going to let that happen when the SEC had, what, six top ten teams in the 2020 recruiting cycle? No, no, it's not. It's it's going to come to a head, I think. But we're going to let this rest. We're probably going to come back and address this topic later. But for right now, we're going to move on to our next topic. And it's a new segment for us. It's going to be an ongoing one called Hot Seat Watch. So, like, going into every season, there are coaches across the country that know this could be their last season if certain goals are not met. We've seen programs like LSU decide they need a change and got rid of Les Miles, a legendary coach. We've seen fans push administrations to let a coach walk due to their expectations not being met. And this expired, this this series, uh, and we're going to break down which head coaches are on the hot seat going into the 2020 college football season. We're going to do this by conference to kind of make it easier. We're going to start with the ACC today. So, Brandon, which head coaches do you feel are on the hot seat right now from this conference? Oh, man, this is – listen, this is a hard segment for me to, uh, to just tackle all at once um, because I don't know who's – on the hottest seat right now. I think there's a handful of dev coaches. So I've got three that I think are on the hot seat uh, in the ACC right now. And I'll go ahead and start that list out with, uh, with Manny Diaz. I think I have to, I understand he's a second year coach. He's only been at Miami for one year, but what do you do in that one year? You know, he's following the legacy of Mark Richt at Miami. Um, and, and Mark Richt, his, in his last season went seven and five. But before that, I mean, we're talking 10 and three seasons, nine and four. I mean, we're talking about greatness out of Mark Richt or not greatness, but, but doing really well. Uh, and then you have Manny Diaz who steps in, goes six and seven and loses in the Independence Bowl to, to Louisiana Tech. And, and the reason that I have him on my hot seat right now is because not only because of his last season record, which was, you know, he made a bowl game. He got destroyed in that bowl game by Louisiana Tech, which I don't think should happen if you're Miami. But 
uh, because I think that he has a ton of talent next season. And if he can't do anything with this talent next season, if he can't do anything with this incredible defensive line, uh, overall just great defense, and Derek King taking the snaps, I, I don't know what you're going to do in the future. You know, if you're Manny Diaz, I think that you have to, I think you have to, uh, you kind of have to worry about your, about your job security coming up here. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, I didn't have Manny Diaz. I I do think Miami is a program that is going to let a coach have more than two years. I mean, like you said, De'Aaron King is a massive upgraded quarterback. They have... Arguably the best defensive line in the ACC. I know Clemson's in the ACC. I know Pitt's got a good defensive line, but I don't think there's a better defensive end combo than Quincy Roche and Gregory Rousseau. It's just yeah. that elite. Both of them could end up being top picks in the NFL draft, and they're going to make a run at 20-plus sacks. And I think it's going to be Gregory Rousseau. Check out our last episode. He's my number three prospect in this next draft class if he declares. But for me, Brandon, I'm going to also have a second-year head coach I hate doing this, but this is a school I don't think is going to give an, a, a third year to someone who has as bad of a first year as he had, and that's Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. Right. And I, it's only a second year. I got you. I got you. But three and nine last year is not going to cut it again. I mean, you dropped the triple option offense. That was a staple at Georgia Tech had almost zero success, and so he didn't buy any goodwill with Georgia Tech fans, any goodwill with Georgia Tech administration, ADs, anything like that. And my biggest thing about him being on the hot seat is, have you seen their schedule, Brandon? Uh, No, I haven't. In, In the first five weeks, they play Clemson, UCF, and then take road trips to North Carolina and Virginia Tech. Yeah, it's not great. It, that's and they have uh they have a D three opponent week two, so they'll probably be one in four going into their bye week. That's a critical period for Collins and Brandon. You, you're like, okay, well, the second half of the schedule has to let up in the later weeks of the season. They have Virginia, the defending, you know, that they went to the ACC championship last year. They go, they travel to Pitt, and then they have Notre Dame, Miami, and then travel to Georgia. Yeah, yeah it's that's nine. That's nine guaranteed losses on their schedule, and doesn't even include tough row games against Syracuse and Duke. Right. So, right. if Collins goes one or eleven, two, two and ten, three and nine again, I mean, how can Georgia Tech not move on here? I mean, yes, they might give them one more year, but I think if I, I really see this team having a real shot at going two and ten, three and nine again, and I don't see. Georgia Tech giving Collins that much rope here, and I think they're going to cut him pretty soon, especially if the morale gets way low and they go one and eleven. I mean, if your only win is over a D two D three team, that is not acceptable for an ACC team like Georgia Tech. No, it's absolutely not. And we're talking about a Georgia Tech program that was, I mean, <laughs> that that is storied, right? I mean, Georgia Tech's one of the great teams in college football history. I, you know. That, that's I don't know I don't know for me personally it's it's like when I think of college football Georgia Tech's a team that kind of pops into my head like historically not recently um, but I mean to be kind of living in the shadow here of Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech a coach that was that was so great for so long at Georgia Tech it's 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 tough uh, to go three and nine right now you know um, yeah I mean so yeah you got to think five five years 
like five years ago, they were in a New Year's Six Bowl at eleven and three and beat Mississippi State. Right. Yeah. Just it's five crazy. years ago, and they have just the wheels have come off on this program, and I think I think they're going to swing for the fences, man. If Jeff Collins can't get it rolling, he's gone, and I think Georgia Tech is going to throw money at a big name to come in there and get this thing rolling again. Right, as they should, you know. <laughs> That's that. He was also one of my picks, so so yeah, I'm 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 agreeing with you here, hundred percent. Yeah, and I mean, if I had to pick a second one, okay, this one's kind of unfair. I, I get it, but I'm gonna have to go with Dave Man. Doran at there NC State. That's my other pick. I mean, All right, love it. Like, I, I know. I mean, Brandon, we've we covered on the podcast how just ravaged NC State was in terms of injuries down the stretch. I mean, I believe almost their entire defense was just out at one point, but. For a coach that historically wins eight, nine games in a season, another four and eight season, another three and nine season is not going to cut it. I mean, you have tough games against Louisville, Mississippi State, and they have a sneaky game where they travel to Troy in Alabama, and they have Florida State and at Clemson all before their bye week. That that easily that's four losses almost guaranteed, and a, a travel to Troy. Ask LSU what happens when you play Troy. I mean, Troy can beat anybody on any day. So I think NC State could be in real trouble. And their second half of the schedule is easier, but it's getting through that first half. They still have Wake Forest and UNC late in the season. I mean, this team, for me, looking at a roster, has enough talent to get seven to nine wins per year. But if they go, if they don't reach bowl eligibility again, I can see the fans screaming for a change. I mean, Dorn has been here since I believe 2013 and it's, he's had time to build his program and they're not going to let the injury excuse get him through another year. So he's got to win now, or I think he could be out the door. Yeah. I mean, you can't have two losing seasons in NC state and, and stay right. I mean, and this is a coach that, uh, you know, obviously four and eight this past season, they were, they were ravaged by injuries. Like Zach said, before that, I mean, he he made bowl games consistently for the past for the previous five seasons. You know, in his first season, he went three and nine, but he was taking over for a team that wasn't great at that point. Um, and and we all know where Dave Doran came from. He came from that Northern Illinois team uh, back in 2012 that shocked the nation. I mean, they ended up going 12 and two that season. Uh, so yeah, I mean, do I realistically see him having another losing season this year? Not unless they're ravaged by injuries again. I think this NC State team is. Uh, I, I think that they're destined for for a bowl game this season. I think they have to be, and if they're not, then he's gone. You can't have two losing seasons here. Yeah, I mean, and especially with the ACC. So you have Clemson dominating, UNC's on the upswing, Virginia Tech's on the upswing. Virginia just went to a New Year's Six Bowl. Florida State's got a new fresh start under Mike Norval. I think these other ACC teams are starting to feel the pressure of we have to win and win now. And so I don't think a school like NC State, who their in-state rival, is probably going to make a run at the New Year's Six Bowl at the ACC Championship. I don't think they're going to let that happen. And with Georgia Tech, like you said, it's a historically pretty good program. And I don't think they're going to keep accepting these single – you know, this – three four win seasons for much longer i mean these fans real really expect success and especially when recently you've beaten teams like georgia 
and you're letting your in-state rival be one of the best teams in the country, and you are going three and nine. And I, bl- I believe Clemson beat them sixty-three to like fourteen last year to open the season. Right. That's that's, 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 that's unacceptable. Yeah, it's nuts. Anyway, yeah. So those are those are my three choices for uh for high seed in the ACC. Yeah, and hey, we're gonna come back at you guys with the Big Ten next episode. That should be. Oh, an interesting one to say the least. I think Brandon knows where I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got I've got one coach in particular gone. Got to be oh, like gone, like for good. I think he's done for. Yeah. Oh uh, well, guys, tune in to hear Brandon's uh funeral like obituary for that coach. But for right now, <laughs> we're we're going to move on. Last segment of the day. It's another recruiting update. You guys love these segments, so we continue our 2021 recruiting update. Uh, we've covered Ohio State, North Carolina, Alabama, Tennessee, USC's rebuild, and Florida we covered last week. Um, we bring you guys another update on the trail, but now we head to Clemson, South Carolina, and we analyze what the Clemson Tigers are doing this recruiting cycle. They fo- they're trying to follow up one of the best classes in college football and especially school history, which ranked number three in the country. They've already jumped into the top four of the rankings this season, and this class is stacked with some elite recruits. They have six, a whole six, top 100 recruits already committed. Brandon, what do you, what do you think this says about what this program is becoming? And really and truly, can, like, can you speak to what you think of Davo Sweeney's work on this, just on the recruiting trail in general, but especially this year? Yeah, listen, and, and as much as I'd love to uh, – to downplay the greatness of this class so far, I, I just can't. I mean, what what do they have? They have, uh, I think it's nine four star recruits right now, right? Yeah, and, and then, a, then a five star and a five star, uh, and the five star just came last week, uh, and that's in Will Shipley, the uh, running back. But uh, look, it's it's great. I, I can't I can't say anything bad about it. I'd like to, but I can't. Uh, I mean, when you're getting the you know the number one running back in the country, the number one. Uh, inside linebacker in the country, the number one tight end in the country. I mean, and the list goes on. Uh, I mean, the number two center in the country. And on top of all of that, I mean, you're building off of an insane recruiting class the past year. I mean, you had the third best recruiting class in 2020, and you're already at number four for 2021. I don't know. To me, there's nothing bad to say. Uh, I guess when you have $85,000, $100,000 to spend on one weekend of uh housing recruits, then that goes a far away. Not only that, don't let me discredit them like that. Davos Winnie is a great recruiter. Uh, Clemson's a great destination for anybody looking for a, a, a football program to play at in college. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously their, their success in the past has made them just one of these top destinations. I mean, when you see these top recruits in the country, Zach, I mean, this is about the time of the year that people are releasing their top three, top five teams. What do you see? You see these teams boiling down to Clemson, LSU, Alabama, sometimes Georgia. Sometimes, I mean, they're they're just the top. They're always in that conversation when any of these top team, when any of these top players are deciding where they want to go. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's incredible what they've done over the past few seasons, uh, as far as recruiting is concerned. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question between the between both of us that this is going to be another top three class. Uh, I oh, think yeah. it's going to be one of the most elite classes in the country. I mean, this class right now, I mean, Brandon, it's May 10th as we're recording, 11th as this episode comes out. They already have nothing but five and four stars. Yeah. 
That's, I mean, that's unheard of. I mean, every, every single one of their uh, commits right now is in the, is in ESPN's top 300. That's how do you do that? You know, that, it's just insane. I mean, even if you look at the three teams that are above them, I mean, you have North Carolina, Tennessee, and Ohio State, and the average recruit ranking for Clemson is higher than all three of them. And F, those other class, I mean, Tennessee has 12 three stars in their class, while Ohio State and North Carolina have four and three, respectively. I mean, they're building this class on just elite potential rather than just sure numbers. And if these other schools didn't have more of, like, I guess a higher volume of recruits, Clemson would have the number one class in the country right now. And it's coming, guys. I mean, Clemson is most likely going to land the number one recruit in the country. I'm oh, just yeah. telling you, it's coming down to USC and Clemson. I'm picking Clemson in a fight over USC every single time. And in this class, I believe you already kind of covered it. They have the top-ranked running back, inside linebacker, and tight end in the country. Yeah. And if that goes along. Last year, they landed the top strong-side defensive end, pro-style quarterback, outside linebacker, and defensive tackle. That's That's outrageous. I mean... That you're telling me they can land seven different positions, the number one player in the country, and 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 the I mean, just this gives them more depth at almost any position compared to other teams throughout the country. Uh, they and just let's talk about recent commits. Last week, Will Shipley, the five-star running back, I kind of highlighted it earlier, committed to Clemson. Elite speed already at a full with a four four forty guys, and he can explode on any play. The only thing I see is he just needs to add some size. I mean, he's only about he's five eleven. That's fine height wise, but he's only one ninety eight. If he can add five or ten pounds of muscle, this kid could be a real problem for teams. And his pro comparison already is Joe Mixon. I'll take Joe Mixon right now on any team you want to put him on for me. Yeah, yeah, it, for sure. <laughs> Especially talent wise, you know, per, we can we can talk off the field stuff later, but talent wise, absolutely. Yeah, talent wise, yeah. Sorry, guys, I, not to be sensitive. <laughs> off the field stuff, let's. I'll keep. Uh, you can keep that, but I'll take the talent any day. And you know, Brandon, I really want to talk about just the, where they're getting these recruits from. I mean, yeah, Shipley's from North Carolina. That that checks out. But if you look at Jeremiah Trotter Jr., he's out of Philadelphia. Bo Collins out of California, Jake Brentstall, Tennessee. They get they they have recruits from all over the country. They have recruits from Florida, Georgia, Maryland. I mean, they're landing recruits all across the country. And it goes back to our debate earlier. It's because these kids can come and visit, and they're treated like royalty. To be completely honest with you, and Clemson is making a real impact. And I think they're changing the way recruiting is being done. Absolutely. And one thing that kind of stands out to me, I mean, you mentioned all these places that they have recruits from. I mean, we all know that, that Clemson loves to recruit in Georgia. Um, they don't have any commits right now in South Carolina. That's that's crazy to me. Not one. <laughs> that, that, that's almost disrespectful, to be completely honest with. They're just like, hold, to hold the South Carolina talent. We'll, we'll get those later. You can have them. We don't care. Uh, and, you know, it's it speaks to just how, I guess – relatable and how much Davos Winnie's liked and they're leading right now for a top 13 offensive lineman. He's 13th ranked in the country. They're leading for a top 50 outside linebacker. They're leading for a top 75 defensive tackle. 
I mean, it's just not fair to be honest with you. He's they're in the final five for the number six player in the country, the number seven player in the country. There, this class is going to be outstanding. And I just want to highlight another recruit in their class, and it's Jeremiah Trotter Jr., four star, number one inside linebacker in the country. Uh, he he's going to be the next great Clemson all inside linebacker. I mean, yeah, he's probably not as athletic as Isaiah Simmons, but literally nobody is. Isaiah Simmons was a once in a lifetime prospect, but this kid has elite ball instincts and he might be the most surefire tackler in this whole recruiting class. And I know you can't always hang your hat on this, but he has an NFL bloodline too. His father, Jeremiah Trotter was an NFL linebacker for the Eagles in the mid to in the mid two thousands when the Eagles were in the playoffs every year and they went to the Super Bowl with Donovan McNabb and T.O. one year. I mean, his dad was on those teams. And so he has the bloodline to be really, really successful. And prototypical size at 5'11", 210. I would like to see him get a little bit faster. He's only about a 4'8", 4'9", right now on 40. But this kid, that, that's junior stats. This kid has a whole senior year of football to play. And when, Brandon, I mean, has anyone been better at developing talent than Dabo Swinney and Clemson? No, I don't think so. I mean, you have to, you have to do that to them. I mean, how hard is it to develop already elite talent that are five stars? It's really hard to develop those kids and get them to be better. I mean, yes, it's always a big story when someone takes three-star talent, does something special, but a lot of these guys come in here and already think they're the best player in the country. And so pulling that in and telling them that they can be better. I mean, Isaiah Simmons was was a great recruit, but to see what they did with his development is just off the charts, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. I mean, good God. I mean, like you said, a once-in-a-lifetime prospect somehow dropped number nine in the draft. We'll talk about that at some other point. But, yeah, they, they developed him. I think it was incredible how they did that. I mean, so – Really, it's really uh, how how much more does Dabo Swinney have to do for you to call him the best recruiter in the country? Man, you're not going to get me to say that, but for someone else, probably not much. You're not so, guys. You know, I I just want to say this: they develop talent so well. Brandon, where do you think Isaiah Simmons was ranked in the two four seven composite? Oh shoot! I have no idea. I don't even know how many stars he had. Um, mid two hundreds, four hundred and fifty first, three yeah, star. That's tough. That's tough. Out that's of a bad look for me. Out of Kansas. Yeah, real bad look for me. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, what do you want me to say? I mean, guys, they're reaching into Kansas and getting three star commits that Kansas State thought they had and turning them into top five prospects. That's, that's great. It, it's just not fair and you know you look at even their just their four-star prospects that they've gotten i mean they have real talent down this you know list i mean jordan hancock out of georgia is going to be an elite you know ball playing cornerback i mean he is going to be another shutdown corner and guys i don't think this clemson dynasty is going anywhere i i real i really see clemson winning multiple national championships in the upcoming year. I mean, Dabo Sweeney, I'm just telling you guys, just buckle up because he is going to make a serious run at the record that Nick Saban has right now. Oh, man, man, that, wouldn't that be insane? 
I mean, dude, what happens if he gets Trevor Lawrence for two more years? Oh, they, I mean, they might just cancel football altogether because that just wouldn't be fair. And behind behind Trevor Lawrence, you have a the number one pro style quarterback in the country last year, right? Like, come on, man, come, it's just the the talent that this team has is just I, I don't even have words for it, guys. I mean, you just look at what they're doing. I mean, I mean, Brandon, do, do you see a player like that they are in the running for that they already have committed that you just are look at and you're just like he's going to be a real problem come when he his junior senior year at Clemson I mean obviously Will Shipley right I mean this is the guy I mean for the past few minutes I don't know if you can tell guys I've been kind of checked out I've been watching his highlight tape over again and he is I mean he's a monster first of all he runs a 446 and that's as a junior in high school right he runs a four I'm sorry that's as a sophomore in high school that was in 2019 so he, who knows? He could be faster. He's not a small back. He's 5'11", 200 pounds. Um, and he, I can only imagine he's going to put more weight on. He might even get fa- – I mean, he's going to be a problem because he is the type of back that, that the NFL is turning toward and that college football is slowly turning toward. And that, and that back that can, I mean, run it down your throat when he wants or he can go out for a plat pass, play slot so, receiver basically. Right. So – uh, looking at him, I mean, yeah, it might be just based on like what he looks like, but I, I get like Christian McCaffrey vibes from this kid. Yes, that's racist. That's not, stop. <laughs> I mean, he's he's the exact size of Christian McCaffrey too. I mean, down to like the height. Right, and, and yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I mean, would compare Christian Christian McCaffrey. Christ, Christ McCaffrey is five eleven two oh five. This kid's five eleven two hundred as a sophomore. Right. It's uh, a serious, serious problem. And let's not forget, I mean, it's coming down to Clemson, Alabama, USC for Corey Foreman, the number one player in the country, 65265 out of Corona, California. I mean, and that his pro comparison is Cameron Jordan from the oh. New Orleans Saints. Yeah, pretty, and, good, pretty good player to be compared to. Yeah, no kidding. And you're gonna and you're gonna add him to Miles Murphy and Brian Barisi, both top seven prospects last year. Miles Murphy's six five, two sixty five, and Brian Barisi's six six, three hundred pounds. Jeez, dude. It, that's just their defensive line. And in the bad part is a backup is going to be Demonte Capehart out of IMG, who is also a bo- the first recruit that was not a five star. He was ranked 33rd in the nation. He's 6'5", 300, and he'll most likely be a backup at Clemson. That's, that shouldn't be legal. That should be I mean, outlawed. Th- this team, guys, I'm just saying, Alabama has some really, really strong stretches in the early 2010s. I mean, that 09 Alabama team was elite. Davo Sweeney, man, is really going to push. I mean, this is like playing instead of playing 14 and just putting the recruiting on easy. Yeah, it's yeah. it's unfair to be completely honest with you, and I I never thought I'd say this, man. But Clemson, South Carolina is becoming a college football destination. I mean, I've been to Clemson; it has just popped up in the middle of somewhere in South Carolina. It's a beautiful campus. I love going there. I can't wait to go again. But to say that that is going to be the co- the center of college football is just mind blowing to me. Right, it is. But 
guys, that wraps up our episode today. We appreciate you guys tuning in again. We love all our listeners out there. You guys are why we do this. Um, and a quick reminder, guys, announcement going up on social media, I guess sometime today, it, this will be Monday when this comes out, uh, live stream. It will be coming Wednesday. You guys have been asking for it. We're going to deliver it. It is going to be live on Periscope, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook Live, all that good stuff. Check us out. We're answering strictly y'all's questions. We ain't, we aren't coming with a script. We're not coming with our agenda. This is going to be you guys directing our episode. We're going to answer the biggest questions that you guys have. We've kind of talked about it. We'll most likely do this every two weeks or so. During the season, it might be more because th- there's going to be all kind of stuff to talk about. But tune in there. Um, we'll drop our. I believe we have a Twitch account. I don't know. I don't know what the lo- what the username is right now. We'll get that to you guys very soon though. Social media, though, you can find all our announcements, all our posts, all our episodes. Instagram at the underscore Blue Bloods. Facebook at the Blue Bloods pod. Twitter at the underscore underscore Blue Bloods. Follow, like, subscribe, everything. YouTube, search the Blue Bloods podcast. You can find us on there. Subscribe to the channel. Watch the watch old episodes of the podcast all that stuff you can find the podcast absolutely anywhere guys apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify wherever you want to listen we're there tell your friends family uh, everybody about this podcast we want happy mother's day yeah, tell, your t- tell your moms tell your moms on mother's day tell them to subscribe subscribe to the blue bloods or you know what just take their phone and tell them you got them a present subscribe to the blue bloods for them on this lovely mother's day but guys, you guys are the best listeners in the country. We appreciate y'all. You guys keep tuning in. We kept dropping episodes. That's how that goes. But for right now, we out. <laughs>